0: Welcome to Wadcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. Jean Lichty is an actor on a mission to have a theater company that can explore, highlight, and honor the female experience. She made that vision a reality in 2013 when she registered La Femme Theater Productions. Three years ago this month, La Femme appointed its first board members, and Jean was elected executive director. The company began producing plays in line with its purpose, and this fall will produce the first New York revival of Tennessee Williams' A Lovely Sunday for Creve Corps. She's here to tell us more about La Femme and the new production and the future of this dedicated theater company. Jean, thanks so much for being here with us today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure.
0: Well, let's begin with... uh, a little bit about La Femme Productions. Uh, to, uh, okay. What was your What was the spark that lit this fire that you wanted to start this production company?
1: The spark was <laughs> being Judy Chicago's The Dinner Party at the Brooklyn Museum in 2013, and I was taking a course up at Barnard, my alma mater, led by Lori Wistoff, was the professor. And it was about women artists in America. And so, of course, we went to see Judy Chicago's The Dinner Party. And I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but if you haven't, go see it. It's so magnificent. And it's just all the women who have accomplished so much in our history, who we just don't know about it, and they're all um, uh, gathered at this dinner party. Their settings are, these place settings. And it was so moving to me. And I guess somewhere in the recesses of my mind and my soul, I had been thinking about starting a theater company. But it didn't really become articulated until I saw that exhibition. And then I was very clear about what I wanted to do. And I wanted to begin a theater company that was inclusive. I didn't want to do what the Women's Project, um, why it was... uh, engendered. I wanted to, to include men, but I wanted the mission to be the female experience, to stage plays that explored that and that had roles, significant roles for women.
0: It seems an overwhelming undertaking. Uh, what were some of the first steps you took uh, towards setting up this production company?
1: Great question! Because <laughs> I didn't know what to Um, I really didn't. So I had been, previously, I had been, along with Austin Pendleton, I had been doing something that other actors and actresses have told me is pretty rare these days. I guess that you would call me a, a producing artist. I, along with Austin, would reach out to theater companies throughout the country with projects that we had been shepherding and cultivating, and so this really, this, this desire to start a company really grew out of that. I was in Winham Hammond's acting class in 2003, right, yeah, it was 2003, and he gave me Cherie in Bus Stop, and I put it on the seat with a team partner, and he and others said, you should put this, uh, you shouldn't produce this, This is a great role for you, and you should produce this. And I don't know how serious Mr. Hammond was, but I became real serious, and that indeed was one of the first things that I did with Austin Pendleton. I did two readings of it, one with Alec Baldwin, the other with Brian Cox. But that's what really got me into the whole producing mode and made me think that I could start a company but the mission of the company did not become clear to me until I started taking this course up at Bonnard. And then I, it became very clear to me what I wanted to do. Um, and, and the first thing that I did do in terms of starting the company was getting something called a DPA. And my godfather had died on July 19th. Actually, he died a couple of days before. Maybe it was even a week before and I was supposed to go to his funeral in um, the Washington area. He, he, I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, and my godfather was from, from Maryland, Bethesda, Maryland. But I couldn't make it, so I said in honor of my godfather, Mr., Mr. Ball, Billy Ball was his name, I'm going to get a DBA. And I went down to the um, New York State Department and got a DBA.
0: So that, the, was, that was the
1: beginning. And that was the beginning. And that was 2013, and that is when I started to associate produce. And I had many um, mentors, I really did, and many of them were like, you can do this, just do it on your own. I was quite terrified to do it on my own. So much I didn't know about New York producing and theater. So my first productions were as an associate producer with Dick, the Cadoro Company, and I learned so much. And then after that, I was a co-producer with the Cherry Lane. This production that we're doing now is the first solo production by La Femme, and it is daunting. <laughs> I am learning so much every minute, but I could have never, but I do feel that I can handle it. And I, I'm so glad that I started out as an associate producer and then moved to a co-producer and now solo producer.
0: Well, now Austin, that i was that Austin Pendleton has been a mentor for you. Absolutely. And of course, he yep. has a long, long list of credits as actor, playwright, and theater director. Some uh, of us remember that, you know, uh, iconic role in uh, My Cousin Vinny. Um, yes. I mean, right. I, you know, he was—he's just such a standout. What's it like working with him?
1: Oh, uh, Austin is one. I said this to him yesterday after rehearsal. I learned so much from him, not just as a performer, as an actress, but also as a human being. He's just one of the, He's one of the most creative people I've ever met, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, and also one of the kindest. And as we were leaving rehearsal yesterday, he was trying, and this is man that, I mean, he would readily tell you, he's 78 and has projects lined up mm. that just make me want to, um, I mean, he's just one of the busiest people I know. And yet he was trying to figure out how to visit the daughter of one of his students who was in the hospital. Things like that that are just pretty extraordinary in his day and age. Mm. So and, and, uh, it, it, he has been an example as a performer and as a human being since I first met him mm. and working with him. He's idiosyncratic, um, he's, he's, he's quirky, but brilliant. Mm. And I have become very grateful to be in a working room with him And he has allowed me, he's allowed me to really grow. So it's quite an experience to work with Austin Pendleton.
0: So he feels very strongly about La Femme. um, And why is that?
1: Well, I think it's a a certain uh, affection and bond with me and with our angel, Robert Doman, I also think that the mission speaks to him. Austin has a daughter. It's a very accomplished daughter. And I think that our mission of exploring the female experience and staging plays that have significant roles for women, I think that really resonates with Austin.
0: hmm so you will be. I
1: think he here- loves women. <laughs> That's great.
0: So you I, will be. Appear- mean, absolutely. You will be appearing in a Tennessee Williams play that he's directing. Is that is that right? At the theater at St. Clement's uh-huh. uh, from yes. September 14th through the 21st. Uh, Correct. It's a lovely, sure a lovely Sunday for Crab Why this play now?
1: Austin suggested this play to me probably and a half, three years ago and we did The Traveling Lady instead but I put this on the back burner because I really felt this, we did The Traveling Lady at the Cherry Lane. It was Angelina Portalisi's second Founders Project and I'm so glad we did do it at the Cherry Lane. It was, it was a hit. It was a great experience but I thought that this would be a good opportunity to do Love Bombs' first solo production because it's Tennessee Williams and because it's four roles for women. There are no men in the play. And I felt that it was four great roles for women, as only Tennessee can write. And, and so that was my primary, my primary motivation, was because it's four roles for women and there are no men in the cast. Mm -hmm. and um, Austin has been wanting to do this play for many years many people don't know about it many people in the business don't know about it I didn't know about it Austin of course has known about it for many years he's assigned it in his classes Mm -hmm. he's assigned scenes from it and he loves Tennessee Williams and he really wanted to share this play with um, a New York audience so Austin is the one that brought it to my attention and Austin's the one that's wanted to do it from the very beginning, and I I decided it would be appropriate for a first solo production, and Austin and Bob Doman, our other board member, agreed.
0: Now, like you say, it isn't one of uh, Tennessee Williams' better-known plays. Why is that, do you think?
1: Well, because it's very controversial. It's one of his later plays. It's actually one of the last plays he wrote, and... uh, uh, Mr. Williams' later plays, some people just don't regard them as comparable to his early work than his great work. Austin is different. And Austin has a story about meeting Tennessee Williams and telling Tennessee Williams how much he did like his later work. And Tennessee was like, oh, which one? And Austin said, A lovely Sunday for Grief Girl. And Tennessee was thrilled. Mm-hmm. But Austin has a deep appreciation of Tennessee Williams. But it's also very different from his other plays in that it's somewhat farcical, which Austin is experimenting with, and it has has a comedic quality to it that the other plays don't so, I guess, so openly have. Mm Period of Adjustment maybe does but this is not period of adjustment. This is much more... Uh, he calls it... Tennessee Williams calls it gothic. There's an interview that he has done about this play when it was done... It was first done in South Carolina at the Spoleto Festival, and then they brought it to New York to the Hudson Guild. And it got decent reviews. It, it, it's just, I think, the money fell through. And and it was it was... I guess it was just considered... One of his minor plays. It, it didn't. It didn't flop the way some of his other later plays did. But his later plays have always been very controversial, and and he it, it, it made him very very distraught sometimes that no one understood his later writing. Now it is true that Tennessee did have some substance abuse issues, and that could have been reflected in some of his writing. I'm I'm sure Tennessee Williams' uh, files are going to be screaming at me at the moment, but I I do see that that effect in some of his later writing. But in this case, in this play, he rewrote this significantly, and Charlotte Moore, the woman who runs the Irish Rep, she's coming to join us on Friday Mm. because she was in the original she was in the, the original in Spiletto, and then she moved to Hudson Guild with it. She played the role of Helena, the role that Annette O'Toole is playing. And she has a tale to tell. She moved in with Tennessee into um, Key West that they had a uh, home in Key West with the director, Keith Hack, and they worked on this play, reworking it and rewriting it. And Tennessee loved to rewrite and he loved to rewrite with a good director telling him, what, what needed to be worked on and what needed to be restructured. And he did do that with this. So um, as a result, I, I think that it is one of his better, later plays. And I think it's underappreciated, and often totally thinks it's underappreciated. And I think that when you see this play, you will
0: see the great Tennessee Williams in action. So Jean, and tell, tell us a little bit about your character, Dorothea.
1: Well, many people think that reviewers and people who have read the play, my friends who are artists, have said, oh, it's another Blanche DuBois. But Austin says, on some level, all these these women, all four of them, are their own Blanche DuBois. She's not Blanche DuBois. She is a civics teacher who grew up in Memphis, who, during the Depression, 1937, St. Louis, and who has moved... I, my, uh, my backstory is that she is moved because of a personal trauma, and also because she needs a job. And Blewett High School, which is still a high, which it's not still a high school at the moment, but the building is still there, and which I visited uh, at the end of July. And so she moves to St. Louis to live with Bodie and uh, with her roommate, and also to teach uh, civics at Blewett High School. She's single, has never married, and she is in, she takes her job very seriously, but she's desperate to not only find a partner, she says, a partner in life, but to find a partner in life who will give her meaning and where she says, I have to have romance in my life. It's very clear that romance to her is a sexual, passionate connection.
0: Mm -hmm. so you did travel to several of the locations in the play uh, as you mentioned uh, St. Louis and Memphis uh, and places that Tennessee Williams himself frequented why was that important to you
1: I did that for the traveling lady too and I found it so extraordinary and so revealing that I just felt compelled to do it this time and I felt, just in terms of Dorothea, my character, that I really needed to know the difference between Memphis and St. Louis. I'd been to St. Louis. But I'd never been to Memphis. And Tennessee had such a strong aversion to St. Louis. In his memoir, and his essays, he writes how he loathed St. Louis. Hmm. He was very fond of Memphis. His maternal grandparents retired there Lived there for 15 years. He visited them frequently. He loved, adored his paternal grandparents. Maternal. Maternal, not paternal. His mother's parents, as I adored mine. So that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to see the difference between Memphis and St. Louis and how it affected Tennessee and how it might affect and my character. And, of course, it did affect me profoundly, I, I saw, because we stayed in Tennessee's building, the building that he um, that he moved to. Some people say seven, other people say uh, when he was 12. But it was, the, he, his family lived on the third floor, which is now rented out to a professor. We stayed on the second floor, which is now an Airbnb. But I still got the feeling of being closed in and cramped which is definitely one of the feelings that Tennessee had when he moved to St. Louis. He felt St. Louis was cold and industrial. Memphis, of course, is the South. It's not the deep South, but it is the South. It's Tennessee, and I felt just uh, a sense of expansion there. Gritty, it's very gritty, but it's also so sexy and sensual and sultry. I felt that immediately. St. Louis is not like that. Hmm. I grew to really appreciate St. Louis. We went to see Art Hill, which is definitely an important part of the play. We went to see Creve Coeur, and they're beautiful parks. And St. St. Louis has a has an intellectual feel to it that Memphis didn't quite have. Um, there are many distinguished universities at St. Louis, and also St. Louis is very open hearted. And I didn't find Memphis. Memphis was much more guarded, in my opinion. But that could be because of the assassination of Martin Luther King. I just felt there was more of... uh, I just felt people were more reserved, even though it was the South. But I loved Memphis. And I grew to love St. Louis by Mm -hmm. the end of our trip.
0: So even after a lapse in time between when Tennessee Williams was in these places and when you visited you could still very much feel those same vibes in these two cities absolutely absolutely
1: yes memphis i stayed in in memphis i stayed in something called the victorian village at in the third of the century it's not around 1900 there were 21 homes there it was called millionaires row now there's, only, there's six left. Six were preserved. And some of them are grand and magnificent. One of them called the James B. Lee House and that is now a Bed and Breakfast and that's where I stay. It was beautiful, gorgeous. But there's a more modest home that's two doors down that I feel my character's aunt, Aunt Belle, is the character, uh, the name of my aunt in the play. And I believe that was her home. And that, I was able to spend time in that home and that really gave me, I believe, a feel for the Memphis that my character grew up in. And just spending time, it's called Adam Street, just spending time on Adam Street, which is Victorian Village, really gave me a feel for the early 20s, 30s of the 1900s. gave me a feel for the period of our play. And of course, there are, some of these homes are now museums, and the, the directors of these museums were so helpful and gave me a wealth of information. I was able to see a lot of artifacts, photos. It was, yeah, it was, really, it was really an incredibly helpful experience. Then, just seeing the Mississippi, and the Mississippi where Memphis is versus the Mississippi where St. Louis is, mm-hmm. to me, is marked the, the, the Missouri and the Mississippi they, they merge in Memphis and it is just glorious really glorious and it's more industrial in St. Louis it's not quite the same doesn't have quite the same magnificence
0: mm-hmm. well, I it's
1: southern, Memphis is southern. <laughs> I'm from Virginia I'm from northern Virginia so I, I can't quite say that I'm southern southern but I'm, I'm a little bit southern and my whole feeling in Memphis was this is the South, and St. Louis is obviously more Midwestern.
0: So um, I should mention to our listeners that you do have a video on the La Femme site, which shows you going through some of these buildings and talking about uh, right. you know, the atmosphere and the environment and the play. And I, I thought that... The video I watched, I thought was very well done, Jean. So people should absolutely go on and see that before they see the play.
1: Oh, thank you, Charlene. I will. Stephen Petrick was our videographer, and he helped me with the traveling lady trip. I could have never done it without him. And yeah, he's a one man unit, and he, I think he did a very good job. I'll tell him it was beautiful. It, it, it,
0: so I know. Tell me a little bit about the other women in the play: uh, Christine Nielsen, Annette O'Toole, and Polly McKee.
1: Holly McKee. How
0: did well, the casting uh, happen?
1: Well, the, let's see. Um, Annette O'Toole was in The Traveling Lady. She replaced Karen Zimba. And they, uh, they I think turns. Zimba left July 1st and July 5th. Annette O'Toole took over the role of Sitter Mavis in The Traveling Lady. And it was wonderful working with Annette O'Toole, the great Annette O'Toole. And I believe it happened this way. Austin told me that Annette had emailed him about another project and then had mentioned something about uh, Corps because I had sent out an e-blast saying that this was, that we had just gotten the rights to it. And he said, I'm not sure but I think she might be interested. And So I was like, well, let me talk to her. (laughs) So I did. And indeed, she was interested. And it turns out that Tennessee, back in the day, really followed Annette O'Toole's film career and just thought she was beautiful, which of course she is, thought she was vastly talented, which of course she is, and just said, I just can't wait for her to mature into... Uh, a leading lady, because she was an ingenue back then, and, and play some of my great roles. It's really, it's on, I believe the interview is online. I, I've read it in a book, and I believe I also read it online and heard it online. Uh, it's really incredible what he has to say about her. So I, I was just so thrilled that she would be interested in this play. And, of course, she was. She loves Tennessee Williams, and she knew about this play. She had not seen it. Some um, people I know did see it in the 70s, but she had not, but she had heard a great deal about it and was on board immediately. So then the next task was to cast the role of Bodie, which I believe is an incredible role. Tennessee wrote it for for Maureen Stapleton. Maureen Stapleton turned out not to do it. Dan Miner ended up doing it at the Spoleto Festival. She was, the, um, she was an actress that, that, was, that played Madge in that, that commercial back in the day. Um, right, right. And, and, and Austin, um, and yeah, Austin agreed that it was an incredibly important and possibly somewhat like, difficult role to cast, in that we needed a clown. We needed somebody who could embrace the clown. Bodie is definitely, in my opinion,. Um, I mean, she's the anchor of the play. I I think there's hardly a scene that she's not in. And Christine Nielsen, I mean, who is... She's a brilliant actress, and obviously she can embrace the clown. And so once... And, and I have to say that Stephanie Copper, our casting director, she came up with a list for the role of Bodie, and Christine was at the top of it. Mm. And I have to say that that Stephanie was integral to the casting of Bodie, because I, I love to cast and I did cast The Traveling Lady, with the exception of The Little Girl. Stephanie helped us with that. But I had some personal tragedies this summer and I just, I was a little bit off my game. And so I really depended on Stephanie and Stephanie came through just so beautifully. And as a result, we have a fantastic cast. Holly McKee, is a student of was a student of Austin, and I had seen her in A Day by the Sea, mm. and we were thinking that Polly would be a great understudy for Bodie, but I came up with the idea of offering her Miss Gluck, and Austin embraced that, and so and Polly accepted the role of Miss Gluck. It was kind of like the Greek chorus, in my opinion, in this play, <laughs> and she decided that the understudy would probably be just a little bit too daunting to mm-hmm. do both. So she is not our understudy, but she is Miss Spook. So I, as Austin said, we have, I think we have a cast of, of, um, of, a, of a dream. It's really... And I love working with these women. It's been really exceptional. It,
0: it sounds fabulous. So, it has so been. It really has
1: been with me. It's um, often emailed me after the casting was complete, four brilliant actresses. But they are each... Uh, Unique in their own ways, and to get there seems to be a gelling. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's been the rehearsals have been really promising.
0: Oh, that's great. So, Jane, what's next for La Femme? Looking ahead, what are some of the other things that you're hoping to do?
1: Well, you're the first person that we have shared this with in terms of media, but I think we can. Our next venture is Edith Borton's play, A Shadow of a Doubt. It was a play that was discovered last year. It's the only play she ever wrote. She wrote it in 1904, hmm. and two academics discovered it in her archives at the University of Texas. And I read it in the fall of 2017 when my father was dying. And it's about euthanasia and and so it really spoke to me. And then when we had a fun board meeting in May, I brought it up, and Austin and Bob became very interested. And and now, and when Austin Austin read it,
0: I say a month ago, and felt that it was a page turner. mm mm-hmm. Wow, well, so what a discovery! Or, yeah, it is. It's it and it is, and it's got. Once again, of course, written, <laughs> it has marvelous roles for women. Wow. I mean, yeah. Is, yeah. That, is that difficult for you to tackle one of the roles in a play like this that might hit a little close to home? I mean, I haven't read it, but it sounds like the themes
1: yeah. are... Yes. Are um, I don't know. I, I, I would say that... Um, that's a really good question, Charlie. I don't know. I, I can tell you that... I'm sure any one would understand this, but losing my father has just been he was a great he was a great dad and was very involved with with my dreams mm-hmm. and so it, it, probably it's better that we that I wait on this one mm-hmm. that the, the Edith important play um, because it it's all about it is all about death and euthanasia and and how to die. Mm. And my father died a of hor- a horrible neurological disease, and, uh, and sometimes he did ask me. but I mean, he didn't ask me to kill him, but I, I, I had the great pleasure of taking care of my father at the end of his life. The traveling lady ended, and I flew down to Florida where my parents live, and I was able to take care of him for the last four months of his life. Mm, and idea. there was some... Yeah, and there were some times when I believed that my father did want me to...
0: Him out of his misery. Uh-huh. You know, Gene, these are themes that are just, you know, so out there right now because of our aging population. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, you, you, you I, got I think it. that a play that touches on that would, would resonate with, certainly with a lot of people.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. You're right. We are aging. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah, my dad was 89. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sure wish that I'd had him for another 10 years, yeah. but anyhow. Um, so, and then, we're, we're discussing doing another Tennessee Williams play, mm-hmm. um, and it's um, Red Devil Battery Sign, mm-hmm. another play that Austin brought to my attention and to the attention of the LaFon board, and it is a terrific play based on Watergate. He mm-hmm. wrote it around the time of Watergate. The main female character is based on Martha Mitchell, Oh, John Mitchell's goodness. wife, yeah, um, the Attorney General's wife during the administration of Nixon. And it is another page-turner, but there's something about the Edith Wharton piece that we feel we want to we want to do it now, mm-hmm, meaning mm-hmm. next year.
0: Well, actually, Gene, so, it sounds like both of those plays are so perfectly timed. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah that's wow. what Austin's about, too. Um, so I'm very excited about moving forward with those plays. And I just need to figure out a way to build an infrastructure for La Femme so that I have um, a very solid base. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm creating a base because when I was co-producing with the Cherry Lane, they have an infrastructure that's right there that works very well. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I don't have that. Mm.
0: So, so you, so you can build it in the way you want it built which is an advantage. That's right.
1: Group, That's right. right. That's right, I told you. I have lots of freedom and, and control, which is a glorious thing. But, you know, you know, when you have lots of freedom, there's also lots of responsibility. And there's a, I
0: have to create a lot of things that did not exist before for me. Exactly. Well, Jean, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, uh, Jean will be in... Um, Tennessee Williams' play, a lovely Sunday for Crowd at the uh, St. Clement. St. Clement's Theater uh, in September. Oh. It runs through October 21st, right? It, it does. It, from it does. September 14th through October 21st, 2018. And uh, we will have links at the uh, end of the podcast for people to go uh, not only to your site, Gene, but uh, someplace where
1: they can purchase tickets for this. Uh, that, that would was be terrific, sure did and I just visit. and this has been this has been so much fun, Charlene. And I also want to add that this play is not only entertaining; it's also um, profoundly provocative.
0: Mm. It's Tennessee really does delve into some issues that we all have to confront. Well, and this should certainly be a must-see for anyone who is a Tennessee Williams fan, it seems to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Jean. Thank you. I'm Charlene Giannetti, editor of Woman Around Town, and thank you so much for listening.
1: Thank you.